Hi, I'm Mark Renner. This is Victory Over Sin. Saturday afternoon to you. My name is Mark Rennick. This is Victory Over Sin. What we attempt to do in the first part of the show is to explain to you who we are and who pays for this. Victory Over Sin is actually funded by an advocacy arm of St. Vincent de Paul, Treasure Valley's uh, programs here in the Treasure Valley. Uh, It's an advocacy arm that actually addresses uh, those of us who have been incarcerated. And what we attempt to do is to educate you, the Idahoan, about what it's like to come out of incarceration and to live on parole. We argue that you have no idea what that's about. So you come in and listen to us on Saturday afternoons and we talk to you about issues that affect those of us who have been in the system, come out and are attempting to blend back into community. We do it in a couple different ways. One of them is this radio show, which now is approaching, believe it or not, three and a half years on the air. So every Saturday afternoon, we're on the air talking about issues that affect people coming out of incarceration. If you're interested in going back to the archives of KBXL, you can click on Victory Over Sin and find all those shows there listed. Uh, We think it's a really good body of work, if you will, for those who have been in the system and want to learn about the system. Uh, There have been politicians on there. There have been people who direct agencies. There's been some national figures. There have been people who walked out of prison the first day and come to the radio show. There's actually one situation where a person was here and they were going to back into the system the next uh, couple hours after they left the studio. So you can get a flavor for what's going on with the Department of Corrections by looking at these archives and listening to them. Uh, Again, we think that's a great body of work to understand the department, and we'd encourage you to do so at your leisure. Uh, In addition to that, pre-COVID, what we did was had a PowerPoint presentation. We still have it. We just don't do it as much. But that is offered to anybody in terms of your church group, in terms of your support group, in terms of your class. We can come out and offer a 25-minute PowerPoint presentation. And the great thing about this is that it is led by a returning citizen. So they'll come out, present the PowerPoint, and then leave time for you to ask that person of questions about what it's like to be in the system and questions that you might have. So those are the parts of the things we do with this grant and try to make that happen. We're excited about that. Uh, If you have been listening to me for a period of time, you know that we've gone through some changes over the years. And we now, I want to highlight the fact that St. Vincent de Paul really does have a powerful website. If you go to www.svdpid.org, you're going to see a litany of services provided to the poor by St. Vincent de Paul. There's a whole category for reentry, and you can link on those. You'll see a connection to this show and to a resource manual that we put out. Also, all the, the uh, types of services that we provide to the person who's coming directly out of incarceration. 
We do that now in two different locations. So if you're listening to me in the desert, we're now uh, offering our pickup service and the first day out services on Overland Road on at 3217 Overland Boulevard. That's the place we want everybody the first day out of prison to come. We'll get you a voucher for some clothes. We'll get you some food, and then we'll direct you on to the first steps in that first day. If you're looking for some support, ongoing support after that, we're going to send you to the Fairfield office now where we've got employment people and we've got a great new addiction program that can support people in their walk back through and struggling with addiction if you're out. And then we also have what we call a 72-hour program that we bring a volunteer alongside you and kind of walk with you in those first 72 hours. So all those things are possible. Go to the website and take a look at that. That's the reason there are um, two websites. We think it works a lot better. Uh, we're excited about the future and what's coming forth this summer and in the fall in terms of working with the Department of Corrections. It looks like they're about to open up visiting. So visitings are starting, and then after that will be volunteers. So we'll kind of resume a quote-unquote post-COVID situation where we potentially get to get out to the uh, institutions and uh, do some work in terms of supporting that population. I'm excited about our guest today. I think you're going to be excited too as we talk to her, and we'll be right back. The Idaho Justice Project is a new statewide nonpartisan organization to improve Idaho's justice system. Idaho has the third highest rate of people under corrective control in the entire country. Idaho's jails and prison are beyond capacity, but most are there for nonviolent crimes like drug addiction or probation and parole violations. The Idaho Department of Corrections spent over $309 million in 2020. 37% of people released from prison in 2016 reoffended within three years. 62% of Idaho's yearly prison admissions are for a probation or parole violation, the highest rate in the country. The average probation term in Idaho has grown by 109% since 2000. As of June 30th, 2020, there were over 17,000 Idahoans on probation or parole. One out of every 38 adults is on probation in Idaho. For more information on how you can help and get involved with the Idaho Justice Project, go to 3217 West Overland Road, Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to noon, and ask for Mark. Okay, we're back. Uh, I'm kind of, this is this is going to be a cool show, i got to be honest with you. Uh, this week I had a chance to meet a nice lady named Crystal Gokin. Gokin. Yeah, I always see. Mark is really bad at names, but it's Gokin. And she has recently actually released within the last couple of weeks from the system. She topped her time. And uh, barely, rarely does somebody walk into my office and actually totally, totally, totally impress me. I think she will do that too for you today. We're going to call her a returning citizen, and we're going to talk about a new project for mothers in the system that she's going to develop and certainly be successful at. Crystal, welcome. Thank you. Yeah. So this is fun. We, I had to kind of twist her arm to come on here. But you are, give me a little bit about your background and maybe where you were born, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I was born in Paradise, California at Feather River Hospital when I was six weeks old, had suffered severe abuse to where the points. I had a number of broken bones and was burned and starved and found myself in foster care. Yeah. And from that beginning, um, you seems to have been a pretty rough road, as we've talked about, in terms of your life. You ended up actually in the system. And uh, uh, you've got, like all of us have one of those numbers, your 111708. Yes. What was that that led you to incarceration here in Idaho? Um, a number of things. I had money crimes. I had drug crimes. 
pretty much just lost lost soul trying to make a name for myself and live up to what I thought was a legacy of importance and it wasn't yeah well the i uh, and you've been out for how long as we tape this the four day, four weeks four weeks so that's amazing uh, and then we found out this week too that I actually know your, knew your dad. Yeah. Yeah. His dad was one of those legend kind of guys throughout the system and known for all sorts of stuff. Not necessarily the best things. Not necessarily the best <laughs> things. That's correct. <laughs> and so um, what you were doing was essentially kind of following his image, would you say? Or yeah. And that's talk about that pressure uh, coming from the background where you were foster care, and then all you're all of a sudden you're in the system. And you got this infamous, for probably the wrong reasons, father. You had to, did you feel like you had to live up to that? I did. It was it was difficult um, being having the prison politic views that I had as far as belief systems, as far as men's prison and being a woman who didn't have that in a women's prison and yet trying to follow my father's footsteps. It was, it was very difficult. Yeah. I think we never talk too much on this show but I think it's there. The roles that we're kind of asked to play once we go into incarceration, you really have to switch over to a different mode to survive. Did you find that for you? I did. Yeah, and that was basically what, to live up to the name maybe? Of who you're... Yeah, to live up to the name, to live up to what everyone thought or didn't think I was or I wasn't. Um, I just had a chip on my shoulder that was probably bigger than the San Andreas fault. Yeah. And I think also to you, it's almost as if you have to go in, you have to say, this is the way I'm going to act and this is what I'm going to attempt to do so I can survive this. Is I know that's, I, I unfortunately did three terms, but the last one was the longest and I didn't think I could live seven years like this. So I almost had consciously had to say, this time I'm going to do this and stay on that path. Is that something you thought about? No. No, you just reacted all the time? Absolutely. That's the way it struck me is like you were shooting from the fly all the way right away and it was quick and it but that probably got you in some grief in the first Oh yeah. Yeah. Did a lot of time in Ag Seg, had a name, had a bad reputation, the COs hated me. I guess I hated me. Yeah. But I think the thing as we talked the other day and that the whole thing I wanna at least attempt to get to at first is you always find these people as you go across the path that are their COs or their staff or their sometimes wardens, if you will, and they see something in you that you don't see. Did that happen to you? It's, it sounds like it's happened to you several times. Absolutely. Tell me about the first one. Um, I was in South Boise Correctional Institute with Warden Barlow as the, as the warden of that prison and her staff. I gave them a lot of grief too much grief I set in my stubborn ways and didn't care about DORs and um, it took one one sergeant sitting me down and you know pretty much telling me you know you got all these youngsters that are rioters looking at you as a timer and they follow your lead whether you see it or not and you're you're causing problems and they're gonna lose everything they're gonna end up just like you and you need to pull your head out yeah is that something that was new to you did you hear him the first time was it him it was him yeah no, I I wasn't having it. I I I'm just a number. Right. Nobody's looking up to me. I'm just me. I'm doing my own thing and you know, trying to walk my own path. And so when he said that to me, I kind of blew him off and didn't pay much attention, but he 
It was very persistent. Yep. I think the persistence kind of played out in the work kind of program that you ended up going to Marsing to. Is that is that the yeah. same gentleman? Yes. Okay. So talk about how he got you to do that. That's pretty cool. So I I was told I wasn't asked. I was told I was going to work for Ag Crew, which if you're not familiar with Idaho Department of Corrections, Ag Crew is a system is a is a work program where we go to Sims Fruit Farm out in Marsing and we we work. We work hard. We pick fruit, package fruit, transport fruit. You know, you're working with members of the community and it's not always easy because sometimes there's language barriers and sometimes there's religious barriers and sometimes you're looked at as a less than by by the community, like, like you're in scrubs and you're at work and they're trying to figure out what the heck you're doing there. But um, I was told one morning you're going to work with um, this corporal and you're going to do it and you're going to be fine and I never had a job in my life, let alone going to work for the Department of Corrections. So I was just mind blown. Yep. But I, in the end, as I recall the story, you did it for how long? Three years. Three years. So it became something that you actually came to enjoy as much as you can enjoy it. But you relished in the fact of getting everybody up and getting everybody yep. going and going. And for those of you who can now picture this, you're in South Boise. You got to get on one of those white, goofy vans. Yep. Fill up one of those white goofy vans and you gotta drive all the way to Marsing every day. And so, back. And so back. you gotta get up. You have to, we had to be to work at six thirty there, so we had to leave at five thirty from the prison. So you have to get up at four thirty to go to Chow, get dressed, do your hair, do what all these things girls do. We know what girls do. <laughs> and um, you know, make yourself presentable because even though we are incarcerated, you wanna present yourself as a professional working person. So we would do all that and there's the log book with the mileage, the the roll call, the lunches, the you got to keep track of all that. So it, the, it, the, the weight kind of fell on my shoulders, which was, it was frustrating at first because everybody's trying to figure out why are you a favorite, blah, blah, blah. And, and I, it, it took, you know, the girls to realize I'm not a favorite. I'm just trying to get us to work. Like we're making money. We're getting paid every week. Like you got commissary now, you know, and it was a good work experience because after that Jim, um, Carver, who was our manager out there, he was the shed, the shed, the shed boss. You know, he would tell us if, if we were a good worker or not. If you didn't work, he would he would tell the boss, "You're done. Don't bring her back." But he would offer us job opportunities for when we were released. Right. So, so what I see is a, a leader emerging. Did you see it at this point in time? No, you didn't. No, I just thought I was doing my job. I was, you know, I was just. This is how it's going to be. And I would recruit. I would I would pick out certain girls that were struggling and. Hey, why don't you come to Ag Crew? Oh, no, no, no. I don't want to go to Ag Crew. Oh, yeah, you do. It's a lot of fun. You know, you get to eat as much fruit as you want. You get to be around people. You get to talk to society. We listen to music. You get out of this. You get out of here. I get We don't have a gate. If you've never seen South Boise Women's Correctional Facility, there's no fence. There's no gate there. It's an open minimum custody facility. But you get out. Right. And also, I get that beautiful drive to Marsing every morning. And back and in back, the traffic. And back in, t- <laughs> in the heat. I think that's great. Uh, so later on, as I recall our conversation earlier in the week, something happens with a person that you can kind of briefly hit on in terms of where you actually come across somebody and you really do basically save their life. You want to give us a synopsis of that? Um, there was a situation in a bathroom. A girl had lost her children. Her rights had been terminated. She, was, she had a hard life growing up. I knew her before I went into incarceration. And... Um, I found her with her wrists slit open and um, had to make a choice, you know, let her die or 
try to save her. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have a choice. It was so weird. I remember, I can remember, you know, 10 years ago, people talk about, oh, I want to kill myself. Well, here's a razor blade. Do it. Stop talking about it because I'm tired of hearing it. To actually being in a situation where I'm looking at a girl with a razor blade on the floor and blood everywhere and I got to grab her because it's not time for her to go because those kids need her, whether her rights are terminated or not. And she's a person and she has value and worth. And I don't know, it was just, it was a very, it was a very humbling experience and like a mind opening spiritual connection that I felt that was necessary at that time in my life. It was a pivotal turning point to me and who I am today. Right. And I think too, the way you described the story was they brought her out into the lobby and you were still with her. And then you said a prayer over her, I guess, out loud. Yeah. Okay. And that was overheard by some other staff or whatever. Yeah. And the reaction to the prayer from staff was what basically? They were, they were shocked because that wasn't me. I was never a religious person on the inside. I've never been a real religious person. I've kind of done do my own thing, but I had this, I had this sergeant. It put a lot of time and work into me and we would, we would go back and forth about religion, just, you know, bantering and fun. And I took some things he said to heart seriously. So I started investigating in the Bible and in Christianity. And I told him, I said, one day I said, if I can punch holes in this story, I don't want to talk about this anymore. You're just going to leave me alone. And, I've never been able to punch a hole in the story. So as I watched this girl bleeding and I, I didn't think about it and staff's telling me to let go and, you know, they got a glove up and, and the whole time I'm just like, Mm-mm, not today, not today, Satan, you're not taking her today, you know, because that's, that's how I felt. He was winning and he was taking away from my family and she was my sister, regardless through Christ, she was my sister. And so I held on and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I, I I don't remember all the prayer, but I just prayed like I'd never prayed before in my life. And I, I said, if this is, if this is what it is, then, you know, you, you got to give me a sign because I'm not letting go. And obviously the sign was she was okay. Yeah, she, she survived. survived. She did. She did. She survived. She went to the hospital and you also went to the hospital because you were covered in blood and somebody else was covered in blood too, right? Yeah. So that's a whole process that comes back. So what's the atmosphere like when you get back from the hospital and in the uh, unit? I think everybody was kind of in shock, shock that she did what she did and shock that I did what I did. Like I wasn't, I guess I wasn't real known for compassion and concern about others. I just, you know, buckled down, did what I did. You know, if you're going to work, we're going to work. If you're doing this, we're doing this, you know? And so like, for them to see me actually break down in the day room and hit the ground and on my knees in prayer and humility as far as, you know, the change in my outlook to human life in general. And they were just shocked. Yeah, and I think this is, uh, this is what I loved about the story as we, ta- as we talked this week was the fact that God puts us in these spots where suddenly things change and suddenly you're a different sort of person. And, my guess is from that point on, you're kind of starting to see yourself as a little bit of leader in terms of what God laid out for you. Is that, am I putting words in your mouth or is that something no. you started to feel? That That's how I feel. I, I believe I have a purpose and, um, I mean, I'm not perfect by any means. And sometimes I would, ar- I would say I argue with my heavenly father about what his direction is and what I want my direction to be. But in the end, you know, I got to be the, I got to be the obedient child. And that stinks. I've never been an obedient child. 
So to be the obedient child now and to go forward with what I believe his word is and his works and as far as he wants me to do for my, you know, fellow mankind and my brothers and sisters is it's mind blowing. Every day I have a new experience and a new way to to share my testimony and a new way to impact other people. So it's it's very humbling, but it's it's a great blessing. Yeah, and I promise we'll get into what you're going to do here in a second. But there's one more thing that you said when when you were telling stories. You were talking about somebody that called you from Donnelly and was having problems relationship-wise. And your advice was something that I would love for everybody that I run across to hear. But can you recall what you said to that lady in terms of the relationship when you when we spoke? Um, she, was a, she was a sister I knew for a long time. I did some time with her back in 2003 and she had also attempted suicide. So she was going through a hard time last week and she had posted something on Facebook about her personal business. And I told her, I said, I said, homegirl, I said, I'm going to tell you one thing. I said, you need to leave those, that pain and that anguish and that upset on that cross. I said, cause that's what the cross was for. And you just need to go into the arms of Christ and let him hold you and get you through this because that's what it's about. It's not about the the pain and the hurt and the upset. You need to leave that there on the cross because that's the whole purpose of, of the salvation was to leave it on the cross for Christ to be resurrected and for us to be born again. And so I told her that and she just, she, she called me, she was in tears. She was like, where did you come from and who are you? And I was like, dude, I'm just telling you, like, I'm not, I'm not trying to preach at you. Like you have your relationship with your higher power or whatever, but I'm just telling you leave that pain and that hurt and that upset on that cross. Cause that's where it belongs because that's where it stays. Yeah, but I, I think that's, uh, it was so refreshing. Uh, I wish more people were like that. It'd be a better world if more people could give those kind of advice to somebody that uh, was in peril. And it's just very, very hard to do. I think, uh, it's so, but it's our role as Christians to do that. So uh, that that's what I loved about that. So, so we have a new purpose now, and we're uh, let's talk about your project. We're gonna call, what's the name of the new project? Baby House. Okay, so we're now on fire for a, a project called Baby House, and I will tell you that I've been doing this for a while, about ten years now, and people come into me all the time, say, "Mark, I'm gonna change the world. I'm gonna do this, 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 this," and I was all prepared when uh, Crystal came to my office to say, "Hey, this is gonna be easy," da, da, da. and so I got surprised by the energy and the focus by which you are drawn and led. So let's talk about Baby House and how to make that work. What's your concept of Baby House? So in 2015, I was in the middle of my heroin addiction and I found myself pregnant and argued with my PO about sending me back to prison because I knew I couldn't kick my habit by myself. I had my daughter in prison in 2015. I had no one to take her. She was going to end up in foster care. Somebody told me, you can give your baby to whoever you want. The state can't do anything about it. IDOC can't do anything about it. I said, are you serious? And I ended up having an emergency C-section and a, a very dear friend of mine came and took my baby and she's had her ever since. And I'm blessed for that. My daughter's healthy and happy. But the idea behind baby house is to have a house and take these babies. Why do we want to take these babies? Because I think the percentage is like, between 72 and 87% of all children placed in foster care are not reunited with their biological parents, especially if you're incarcerated. Why? Because you have 15 to 18 months to complete your case plan. 15 to 18 months is nothing if you're doing a two to two plus five. Mm-hmm. That means you're going to get out and it's going to be that mark and you can't complete it because you just got started because you can't do it while you're inside. So you lose your baby. That causes a problem. 
not just for children because they're unbonded with their parents and the rest of their lives. They wonder why, because I was that child. I've never met my mother. But if you can't be a successful person as a parent and you can't see your children and you, you get you get a case of the, the forget it's causes relapses, more crime, back into the system you go. It's a revolving door. So the idea behind baby house is to give myself power of attorney and I will take care of the baby, do video visits, in-person visits, send pictures, do the pediatrician, you know, updates with the mom and phone calls and keep them involved, keep that bond as much as possible. And then when the mom is getting ready to get released, have her come and stay with me. That opens the door for her to have a, a support, a plan, a job, a place to live, and be able to bond with her baby at the same time without her baby being removed from the only thing it's bonded to, which would be me and the help that I have to take care of these babies. Um, it would be it would be life changing, mm-hmm. you know, because within six to nine months, mom's doing good. She's on her feet. She's bonded with her child, and she can go out and live her life. And that child's not a lost child. It's not a product of the system. Mom's not in the system. She's she might be on parole or whatever, but she's got hope. Well, and I think uh, again, to your credit, uh, you're uh, you topped your time, so you're out. So you have some freedom. You've already, as of this taping, been asked to come back into the women's prison and actually speak to them. I can tell you from uh, normalcy, that's unheard of. There are very few people who can walk back into prisons like you're doing with 30 days out. So that's fantastic. Give yourself some credit for that. And I think your approach. In terms of the way you're positioning yourself, what you believe and what you share, I have the road will be very difficult to make all this work, but I have no qualms whatsoever in saying I think you'll be successful in that. And I think that uh, a community will rally around you and help you do that. So as long as you stay on that path and keep talking to God and listen to what God's telling you, I think that that will be very, very successful. And uh, within the power that I have to rally support, I'll be happy to help you with any of that. Thank you. Okay. And again, I can't say enough that it's, uh, we've been doing this show a long time. A lot of people come in and a lot of people are, are impressive if you go back and listen to it. But I think you've got the right attitude. You have a monumental task ahead of you in making it work. But I see, uh, I, I hate to say that you can't do it because I just I sense you can do it. So, yeah, thank you. So do me a favor and let's keep in touch and you can come back and keep me updated. And if somebody, I'm going to let you know at the end of the show how to get in touch with me. If you, uh, if somebody needs to reach out and wants to talk to Crystal, you can talk to me and I'll get you in touch with Crystal if that's okay with you. Absolutely. That would be fantastic. Thank you so much for being brave and coming in and doing this. She was apprehensive, a little scary about coming in and doing this and she did great. Thank you. Okay. Thanks a lot. Through Jesus there's victory. All the chains that were holding me kept me locked in captivity. Have been broken by grace so free When he poured out his cleansing blood Motivated by his great love Give me faith I need to rise above And sing a song of how I've overcome I've got victory over sin Bringing peace to the fight within Give me strength I need to start again So see there, I have a, I have this great job, don't I? I get to do this. If you need to get in touch with Crystal, you can certainly get in touch with me and I'll pass that on to you. I have no doubt that the efforts that she will put together will be exciting and will change the world in terms of 
parents who are incarcerated. So I'm easy to reach, though. If you want to get in touch with me, it's www.systemicchangeofid.com. You can send me an email at systemicchangeofidaho, and it's all spelled out there at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, Systemic Change of ID, on Almond's Instagram, Systemic Change of ID. Uh, we, you can actually call me on the telephone at area code 208 477 1006. I look forward to talking to you next Saturday afternoon on Victory Over Sin.